Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Oh, I've got Bisto in my lungs. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Rip and tear. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Games. Announcement. Announcement. So, as you know, we love to hear from you lovely people lovingly listening to this podcast, so we'd love to invite you to engage with us, this time with a direct request. Send us your top 10 favourite video games of all time lists. We want to hear them, and we may well feature them in a future episode of the podcast. And you can engage with us in many different ways and places. Facebook.com slash R3Cents seems to be the in inverted commas, main place to congregate, but there's also Instagram, Twitch, and TikTok, where we are at O3C Podcast, and then there's YouTube. Search for Our Three Cents to view our video content and chat to us on there. If you'd like to have direct contact with us in a very, very special elite group on Discord, then you first need to go to patreon.com slash our three cents and pledge a few pennies our way, and we will welcome you in with open palms, uh, open arms. <laughs> you can also get loads of other perks there as well, such as exclusive bonus episodes and deleted scenes, and as always, akin to the swan in Westgate, it's just a very nice place to be. Ah. So, this week we have Minty's 10th favourite video game of all time. I I can't wait, but I'm going to have to, because before we dive into anything else, it's time to return to the quiz. Oh, Here we go. We're going to talk about a game and answer a question. When will it end with you people? Quiz. stands 46 points to chris 44 points to minty in what year was the nintendo 64 first released 1996 that is the correct answer oh i did know that i just wasn't quick enough <laughs> well done minty thank one you one point between you again oh. gosh gosh this is neck and neck all the way to the end this has been tight so before we chat about what we've been playing in this last week we have had another question come in from the social media sphere one of our Patreon subscribers, Mr. David Boys Layton, asks, what games mechanics specifically have blown your minds? Which is a, a great question. And I've been racking my brain about this. And, and I, I realised why I was struggling to think of something, because obviously said mechanic blew that brain uh, in, in bafflement <laughs> when I first encountered it. But <laughs> there, are, there, there were two, actually, that, that initially came to mind for me. One of them I've mentioned many times before which was the mechanic in the original release of doom 3 where you could either hold a torch or a gun which is obviously an incredibly clever mechanic for a horror game also one that was invented through necessity to keep the game in the dark as much as possible to maintain its visual fidelity but thinking about other mechanics that, that really made me just think oh wow i, I, I never thought of that before oh, i'd love to be able to do that I was trying to think of the first time I saw something that, that you know, made that impression. 
And I, th- I think it was when I saw the helicopter hair ability in the original Rayman. It's nice. I When I spoke about that game in my list, I think I said I, when I was younger, I couldn't remember the name of the game. So I referred to it as the game with the helicopter hair, which, you know, shows how much that mechanic captured my imagination. You know, up until that point, my platform experience was either Mario or Sonic. And yeah, to be fair, I was equally enamoured with the notion of Sonic grabbing tails to fly. Uh, but at that point, I still hadn't played a Sonic game. But there was something about the level of, of, of flexibility, inaccuracy, the helicopter hair was was going to allow you in Rayman. Just, just have that buffer when manoeuvring your way across the levels. And yeah, it is an absolute joy when you finally unlock that ability, which is quite, quite far into the game. I just had a fantastic time with it. And also thinking about it, I think it's also the seed of my love of double jumping in platform games and Metroidvanias, which is something mm. I absolutely love. Like if I haven't unlocked a double jump within the first couple of hours of a game, I'm I'm not sure I'll persist. Like I need that. <laughs> which which probably explains why I didn't enjoy The Last of Us Part Two that much. <laughs> For me, conversely, I, I don't like du- double jumps generally. I know. And and I think I've said this before that I think not always this this is you know there's outliers to to any statements like this but i think double jumps existed initially to to make game design a bit softer so that yeah if, if a designer wasn't kind of that sure that they had maybe pitched the difficulty correctly in in sort of a platforming section that they knew if you had a double jump you had that few seconds to kind of correct your trajectory and i, I think sometimes especially in sort of games that kind of have maybe a, a smaller budget or a smaller team it, it can become sort of a crutch that everything is designed around the idea that, well, you don't have to be perfect because you can just kind of like hop your way over there anyway. So yeah, I, I think it is a very clever mechanic, but for me, born out of something negative. I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. And I've seen it used lazily before, but yeah. I think when it's used well, and obviously I've spoken about Ori and the Blind Forest, things like obviously in like Metroid and when it's used well and actually enhances the gameplay you just yeah. it's something i just feel so powerful doing it obviously there are sections in those games where you need to use it to get somewhere but just being able to go around normal areas just with a bit more freedom i just oh i love that bloody love that what about you chris like you i, I struggled to think about this for a little while i i really struggled to think what what would fit this criteria and it could be like you say because it has fried certain neural pathways <laughs> in my head but i think more so it's because when a mechanic is implemented really well, it should feel seamless. And and as a result, I think it's only when you when you step back to kind of analyze what you're doing or what you're what you've been playing that its slickness becomes properly apparent. So as an example, like talking about Sonic 3 and Knuckles last week, I said how the way it uses rings for multiple functions is really clever. Mm. But when I was a kid, when I first played it, I certainly wasn't thinking about, oh, these rings, they're, they're used as a cushion for difficulty. And, and I do like the way that rings have been used to, uh, you know, support this fast-paced action game still being stuck in a 4-3 aspect ratio. Even though I can't see past the edges of the screen, I've got that protection from the rings. It's like none of that was in my head. It was just something that was there. And it's only when I was writing my notes last week that I started thinking, no, this is, this is really good design. This is a mechanic that's been really thought about and, and is really core to how this game plays. So yeah, it's it's undeniably an elegant solution, but not necessarily one that I, I would have thought about at the time. And and trying to go back, the last game I think I remember that really stuck out as having something different, like a mechanic which was really clever, which really changed how you played it, but, but was just, you know, really well put in, was probably in, in 2016's Doom reboot. Uh-huh. Because it had that 
it had the the melee system, the the glory kill system. It was called. Yeah. And basically, if you weren't hitting people with that melee attack at the end of any sort of you know piece of combat, you couldn't get your ammunition and health back. The the way you kind of regenerated those things was by being really really aggressive and up in the face of the demons and the enemies. And I think it's it's really clever because it forces you to play more aggressively and be really active with your movement and really be thinking about how you're sort of pinging between enemy to enemy. But it's also a really clever way to to subvert and shake up what we were used to then because we'd had years of these dire, dour cover shooters and that recharging health. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think when I first played Doom, I was terrible at it. It took a long time to get used to how that game played. And it's because it was different. You know, it's, it's something I had to get to grips with because it was very in your face. It was something you had to engage with. But because of that, once you got the hang of it, it changed the way you played and it became like a real core part of that game's identity. And I really like the way that, you know, the, the glory kills themselves, they play into the franchise's history with that sort of gore and ultraviolence because they're really visceral in, in your face when you're tearing something in half. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it used that visual payoff, that immediate visual payoff to then sort of hide the, the depth of why it was actually in the game at all. And I think it's definitely when they were designing that version of Doom, they probably started with that idea and kind of worked backwards. It, it just, it works really, really well. And and the more I kind of thought how that changed everything about how you approached every single scenario and encounter, that's probably the one that really sticks out as making me going, Quaw, that's, that's clever. That's, that's good stuff. That's really good. That's a really nice observation. Something I hadn't really properly taken in. And do you know what? I still can't believe that I've got that on the Switch. It's in, yeah. It's ma- I mean, and and it's not even Doom Eternal, which you know I'm sure is even more impressive. It's it baffles me that they've been able to do that. How about you, Minty? What particular game mechanic has boggled your noggle? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to say that my the game mechanic that I've chosen. Uh, is from a game that doesn't actually exist yet. Brilliant. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with Minty, you can find him out of the box. Permanent <laughs> residence. Hey, yeah, it's me. No, it's from a... I first came across this this particular game mechanic from a very, very short video on Twitter, which I either found because Chris had liked it or um, some Twitch streamer that I followed liked it. But... It's it's it, it it was just like a a little a little clip of some fella using a Polaroid camera in the manner of a gun. Oh, if if you can believe that. So he's holding the gun. No, he's holding the camera like a gun in his hand. He's aiming the camera at let's say um I don't know a, a barrel or the corner of a room, taking a photo, and then he's got the photo in his hand in his inventory, and then you can put the put the photo sort of up against the screen and it then becomes part of the environment i don't know if i've made that particularly uh easy to follow <laughs> when's i haven't stopped you before <laughs> well that's true yes yes <laughs> you, you put you put the photo in the middle of the screen and whatever the photo is of it's now part of the environment the game being developed is called viewpoint and the twitter user is matt stark 256 Go and find it. You will be surprised and interested, I think. I don't know how far along the development of this game is, but I'm very excited to see what he's going to be doing with this game mechanic that isn't just, oh, you've taken a photo of a bridge. Now you can put a picture of the bridge 
in between uh, these two islands and now you can walk across the bridge. I think it's got a real, there's a real scope for some incredibly creative stuff and I'm very excited to see what he does with it in a full game that's really really cool i've got a lot of time for games that like indie games smaller games that really kind of market themselves on a mechanic which is obviously how portal started and a game that i had a huge amount of fun with which was super liminal they are a one-trick pony because they go this is what we've come up with and it's so different that you do just go oh wow yeah i can can't even imagine all the ways you can use it you play the game and you go that is all the ways you can use it, and I've had a great time doing that. Yeah, and I, yeah. I hope I hope this is the case with this. So there we go. Those are some game mechanics that we have been particularly enamoured with. Why not get in touch with us and tell us which game mechanics you particularly admire? Maybe it was the first time you played a game where you could save it, or perhaps it was just the, the most wonderful time you had entering in a 400-character password in a rudimentary save system on a handheld rpg <laughs> i mean imagine imagine trying to pitch that i mean any password systems back then is it, it's, it's horrible to think about yeah mm. more so because like i've watched a lot of um jeremy Parrish does a lot of like documentaries about every game boy and nes game mm. and and because he does it chronologically he's covered a lot of the games that were famicom disc system games in in japan and because of that had like a way to save your game because yeah. it was you know it was it was a floppy disk, essentially. You could just write your save to the disk. And then when it came out over here, it was like either no save at all and you just had to brutally get through a game with without any help <laughs> or like a million digit passwords and things like that. Yeah. Just because we didn't have the facility and, and no one was paying for battery backups. Like it didn't really exist then. So yeah, passwords, fuck off. <laughs> so what have we been playing this week? Minty, why don't you kick us off? Tell us what you've been playing this week. Well, you know me. Have you recovered from the burn of Ring Fit Adventure? Just about, yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I can finally uh, sit down without making noise with my mouth. <laughs> uh, I've started going back to work now, so I'm trying to balance sort of a, a daily 10-mile cycle with nice squeezing that, squeezing that ring, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> Something that dawned on me, which I'd found the answer to, is imagine if somebody did a speed run of Ring Fit Adventure. Has it happened? Have you? S- yes, somebody oh, has done it, it in has. eighteen sweaty hours. Wow! <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, I wonder if I put this on the lowest difficulty. If I could, like, if I could just do it really quickly. <laughs> but oh, I might have a look at that. I mean, 18 hours, I'm not going to watch the whole thing. Apparently included five or six bathroom breaks. Oh. Uh, so... <laughs> Coward. That's why I That's why I yeah. Think of all those lost frames in that time. Yeah, yeah. I'll just carry on enjoying it as nature intended. <laughs> Speaking of uh, enjoying things as nature intended, I finished the Bravely Devolt 2 demo. Ah. I mean, it, it, it didn't add a huge amount to the first demo, but... I had a really nice time with it, and it's it's really just solidified the fact that I'm going to be buying it at the end of next month. What else have you played? Chugging along with Pokemon Home, filling up that living decks. I did get a, you, you know, the new um the new legendary uh, Reggie uh, Reggie Alecki, the the electric yeah. Reggie thing. I got a shiny one of those yesterday. Ooh, what color is the shiny one? It's exactly the same oh. as the normal one, but instead of having like a, a blue uh. A belt, a blue pokey belt. Uh, yes. it, it's it's white. Oh, and then I found out that it was um it was basically a marketing 
tool by a illegal Pokemon generating website. Because in, instead of it being called its its proper name, it was called like, you know, shinypokemonforyou.com or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, that's fine because lots and lots of people want this Pokemon on the GTS. So that's basically a free Pokemon. And I did exactly the same with the shiny Suicune that I got off a website such as that about eight years ago. So there we go. If you uh, want to uh, pull some weight in terms of podcast marketing, can you please rename all of your Pokemon our3cents.co.uk before you put them on uh, the Wonder Trade? <laughs> yeah, maybe I will. Spicy. <laughs> when you put a trade on the GTS, you can ch- choose things like, I'm trying to fill my Pokedex. I want a Pokemon from... You know, Africa. I want. I want to this, this, that, and the other. That there isn't one that says, uh, "Please listen to my podcast." So we we're filling that niche. Is yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I've played a few things this week. Obviously, my main activity has been revisiting Hades, which has just been insanely fun. I finally completed my first run and have unlocked a just a whopping bit of post first run game content, which gives you a lot of good reasons to dive straight back in for more and more runs, which I've been doing. And I finally sort of started getting my head around which boons from which god do which and which can combine with others and how you can aim to get the duo boons. And it's just, it's amazing. It's so, so satisfying. It's such a slick experience. Brilliant. I, there's so much more that I haven't unlocked that I've no idea what it is and I can't wait to find out. Also, after speaking last week about the strangest games out there, I did play my way through Frog Fractions, which oh, was, good stuff. as promised, incredibly bizarre. <laughs> I won't spoil any of the content, but I will echo the sentiments of Chris from last week and encourage people to find an hour or so to download and play it. That was It was very good fun. And also, on the back of recommendation last week, I did pick up the Sonic 3 Angel Island Revisited mod, which... Good as Chris promised, is definitely the best and most complete version of Sonic 3 Knuckles. And you're absolutely right about them being one game. Yes, I know. And I, think, I know. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I'm, I'm going to give this version of the game proper attention, I think, before reassessing both of these games' position in my list. Certainly not having them listed as separate games, that's, that's for sure, you know. It does baffle me why I didn't just put Sonic Jam. I know, it's crazy. It is, because I fucking love Sonic Jam. We won't worry. I mean, you had that lovely 3D sort of museum stage that, that I played yeah, for just and I loved tens that. of I hours. I absolutely loved that. Tens of hours just in and of itself. Yeah. I also played through an, yet another game that Chris mentioned a few weeks back, which is <laughs> Backspace Bouken. Oh! Yeah. The dungeon crawler typing adventure. And I must say, I had a just an incredibly good time playing through this. Like... I really like the idea of typing games. You know, there's only a few of them that exist. I remember when I first saw Typing of the Dead be released and just thought, that looks like a lot of fun. Like, yeah, that could have been a, me- a gaming mechanic that I mentioned, actually, as a as something that made me go, I want to get that. Yeah. And this game uses that mechanic brilliantly. And Chris mentioned the other lovely mechanic that's in the game of essentially using spaces as your ammo. So it it forces you to to constantly be on the lookout for signage to steal spaces from. So if you come across a signpost or a message in the tower, you can delete the text on it to fill up your ammo. And then you can preserve ammo in your battles by forming contractions from the dialogue you're typing out. So if a monster says, you are doomed, you'd write Y-O-U apostrophe R-E doomed. And you've saved yourself a space. And 
Also, because like you're not just typing random words like you are in Typing of the Dead, or just like Pokemon names, like in that obscure Pokemon typing adventure game on the DS with the weird Bluetooth keyboard, you're typing out dialogue between you and the enemies, or rather their words and your thoughts. And this means that you give a lot more focus to those interactions than you usually would in a standard RPG. And it rewards you for that by, well, for one, being really entertaining, really funny. And the closer you pay attention to the words you type and the words you delete, the more clues you'll find to access secrets later in the game. It's it's, it's very, very clever. And the way that it also uses ideas of speech patterns, accents and like mispronunciations of tricky words to throw curveballs at you for, for what you're trying to type. I mean, it's really, really brilliant. And it's also just really fun to explore the tower. The map system makes it really clear where you've been and where certain switches and doors and stairs are. And again, it really rewards you for exploring every nook and cranny of every floor. You know, you might find an extra heart container. You might find a goose. <laughs> and you've always got to have your puzzle-solving head on as well for working out various riddles to figure out passwords for certain doors. It's, it's, it's great. It's really, really great. And to top it all off, it's got a banging soundtrack, like great chiptune style stuff, nice and retro, really atmospheric. There's one track in particular for the underwater floor of the tower that is very reminiscent of Aquatic Ambience from Donkey Kong Country, which I think is one of the all-time great pieces of video game music. I mean, you can see that the game has only been played by, I mean, to be honest, a much smaller amount of people than its quality deserves. So, you know, I really would encourage people to track it down and try it out. There's even been a, a free piece of DLC added to the game over Christmas, so you're getting lots of bang for your buck. I mean, make sure your fingers are thoroughly warmed up because some of the later type fights <laughs> it's are tough. mad hard. Really, really, tough. really hard. But it's, yeah, it's charming from top to bottom. I could happily just explore the floors. It's got this lovely first-person exploration mechanic that reminds me of Shining the Holy Ark, of course. an RPG that I haven't mentioned yet. <laughs> it would definitely be on my, my top 100 list when I revise it. I think really, really good. And yeah, it's whet my appetite to find more similar games. Uh, so stay tuned. One last game that I've been playing this week is Marble It Up, which I bought on the eShop in the middle of the night when I was getting serious super monkey ball pangs. <laughs> it's the it's the spiritual successor to Marble Blast Gold and Marble Blast Ultra, which were both brilliant games. Like I remember obsessively playing Marble Blast Gold on the school computers when we got some Apple Emacs for the media study suite in sick form. Yeah. And is 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 there is there a lineage in the development teams between the games because I did have a little Google and couldn't couldn't immediately see something. I thought you know what I'm not going to bother. I'm just going to I'm just going to ask Chris. I don't think there is. I think it really is just like a, a love letter to those old games because Marvel Blast Ultra came out at the about the launch of the 360. It was an exclusive for Microsoft and it just sat there. It never went anywhere else. It never got ported anywhere. And I think that that series just died with that game. And it's and it's a real shame because it it's they're unique titles. You know, nothing plays like a Marble Blast game. It's a very different type of no, 3D exactly. platformer. I mean, it's it's reminiscent of that classic uh, shareware game. I've got some balls that me and you played uh, in school as well that we found, which was so strange. So yeah. I mean, that could have been one of the strangest games I've ever played. Actually, that would have been a good one to talk about. But Marble It Up is again, it's superb. It's it's got great platforming action with loads of cool tricks and power ups and puzzles. It looks great. It moves really smoothly. It does some little things absolutely right that Super Monkey Ball doesn't. Crucially, there is a button mapped to restart the level for quickly retrying it again with minimal loading times. 
and it also automatically saves your replay of your best time from a level and that was something that used to really wind me up with playing super monkey ball when i was playing it competitively was having to save all of the replays of your higher scores if you needed to prove them and obviously this was a time when there was limited space on a memory card and all of that sort of stuff but playing this has really got me yearning for a conceptual game that i call super monkey ball pro which would merge super monkey ball one and two into one game and have it optimized like marble it up for online competition I would get nothing done. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What have you played this week? I haven't played that much. I've, I've played through two Switch indie titles uh, that have been sat on my hard drive for quite a long time now. The first one, I ran through a short narrative title called Paratopic, and I played through that twice. The first time was like a blind playthrough just to kind of see what it was and, and see what it was about. And the second was sort of to go off the beaten path and, and look for Easter eggs and explore a bit and find expanded story areas and everything else. You might have seen this game pop up just like casually, not looking for it, but on the eShop or, or you know, elsewhere online. It's it's a really, really weird game. It is a horror game, I guess, but it's not really a game about jump scares or a game about being pursued like the things we played for Halloween. It's far more just an unpleasant Lynchian time, but it's got none of the lightheartedness that, that Twin Peaks has. So it's far more in line with, with like the horrible atmosphere of a razor head or something along those lines. Oh, oh no. It looks really good. The visuals are fantastic because it, it's been sculpted in the image of PlayStation 1 and, and Sega Saturn titles. So it's got deliberately warping low-resolution textures. It's got low-polygon um, objects um. and environments. But it does the same thing that those games did at the time, where even though it looked like shit, <laughs> it had the, you know, they were consoles that were CD capable. So they the audio for the fidelity was great. They, they sounded really nice with CD soundtracks and, and voices and everything else. But obviously they looked like garbage for the time. <laughs> but, it, but it really plays with that well um, to just create this really creepy atmosphere. I don't want to give too much away for, from the story or anything like that, as I think it's definitely worth a play especially if it pops up in a sale. Like I think I got it late last year for a couple pounds and and it's absolutely worth that. But it follows three nameless characters, all are tied together by mysterious videotapes that that hold special powers in the game. And it uses the jump cuts like 30 Flights of Loving that I mentioned in our 2020 Mm, roundup. But they are, you know, each vignette in this title is far more hands-on than that game because 30 Flights was far more about kind of just pushing forwards and the story would just progress around you. And this is more that you do have to pick up and interact with objects and, and talk to other characters and things like that. So it's it's a bit more active than a lot of kind of walking simulator narrative games are. It is really good though. It's, it's a haunting experience. I'm surprised I got through it, to be honest, because the atmosphere was was unpleasant, but I'd read enough about like people saying, oh, the visuals are worth a check. Like, it's really, really nails that aesthetic that I just, I wanted to see what it was like. And I knew it wasn't that long. And I thought, right, if I can just, if I can get through a bit of it, I'll probably be okay. <laughs> so yeah, I managed it. I managed it. So yeah, pretty haunting, but definitely worth a play. The second game I've played and not yet beaten, if it even can be beaten because of the type of game it is, is a shoot 'em up called Cycle 28. It is a top-down space shooter. And it uses a sort of momentum-based control scheme like Asteroids back in the arcade. So you press a button to boost and then you control your direction of travel from there. So you don't have direct analog control in terms of the the exact direction you want to go. It's all about kind of manipulating the power you're pushing out the back, like your throttle 
and sort of breaking essentially by shooting because that has a recoil that pushes you back as well. Your character in the game is caught in a sort of a Groundhog Day style time loop and it uses that premise to justify the push to just keep playing for high scores. You get bits of story drip fed to you after each death and you get upgrades that are unlocked for your ship every time you kind of beat your personal best score. So there feels like a reason to kind of carry on and try and get a slightly higher score each time. It's really, really difficult. It's one of those games that because of the the control scheme, it can be really frustrating at first. And I, I don't know why I had the, you know, the, the momentum to push through it. <laughs> I, I, you know, you really have to commit a bit of time. But I've probably played it this week for about five hours now. And I, I keep coming back to it. I find it really, really addictive now that I've got a bit more of a handle on how to play it. And the control scheme, the more you, you kind of play, it is really nuanced. And although the movement can be really tough to get the hang of, like I said, when you start to be able to sort of consistently drift between projectiles because you're just sort of feathering the throttle or circling around enemies by, by using kind of, like I said, the kickback of your weapon to kind of keep yourself in a almost like a loop of gravity around them, it does feel really, really special. And, and it really feels like they've thought about how to get that, that sort of feel right. It is a really minimalist game. Uh, and I feel the lack of flash in its presentation is probably what's led to it not doing brilliantly on the eShop, at least. At the moment, the, the global leaderboard says I am like 30th in the world and I'm by no means a very good uh. player. And, you know, perhaps the competition might be a bit heavier on Steam or other platforms. But I do think it's a real shame that games like this, like you mentioned, like Portal, essentially, it's very mechanically polished. It does one thing really, really well. Or even like that platform game Love that went on about loads last year. Oh, I love that game. It's fantastic. No pun intended. <laughs> they don't always get the attention or plaudits they deserve because they don't have an immediately resonant style that you can kind of sell someone on. So absolutely worth a play again. I don't think it's very expensive. Thinking about it, like the two games this week, I think they really sum up my tastes at the moment, that they're both quite short. They might be uh, like paratopic, like a narrative game that can beat in one sitting or high score games that are very quick, but are kind of rewarding to compulsively come back to, but don't really require that much cognitive investment, I guess you could say. And I feel for me, like I've, I've said this a few times last year, the pandemic has really altered my relationship with games and hobbies and interests. And although I have more free time, especially at the moment, because I'm, I'm kind of half working from home and, and half working in school, I have this extra time and I should feel that I can treat myself to the things I enjoy to help myself kind of pass the days. But I, I don't know how to do that at the moment. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. I find it really hard to sit down and commit to, to playing games that should be a hobby I, I get loads out of. And it seems strange that when I have a packed work schedule and I find I've got an hour free, I can stuff that hour to the gills. <laughs> I, I can, you yeah. know, a game will be on before I've even like taken my shoes off <laughs> and then it won't go off until I've got into bed. It's like I've really min-maxed that time. <laughs> but now that I've got this time, like I'm on a week at the moment when I'm home working, I have way more dead time to fill. And yet I just spend a lot of it staring at nothing and, and struggling to kind of say, well, I've got this time. I should should be doing something with it. I should try and enjoy it. And it's the right time in terms of pure time to invest in like a massive RPG or a story-based action game. You know, the type of thing that would carry me through a week or two. Yet when I do sit down on, on the sofa and pick up a pad to play the Switch or, or the PS4, generally it's to play something that's really low stakes and it's just there to kind of exist. It seems bizarre, like looking at my games I beat last year, some of the long ones like Mario 64 took 
25 hours or so. Yonder took 45 hours, I think, to 100% it. Both of those I beat during term time primarily. So I'm working full time, long hours, commuting to and from work. And now in the new year, when I'm only working sometimes and I'm teaching remotely most of the time, I just don't have any thrust to do it. It could be due to that thing we sometimes call depression, (laughs) but I I don't think that's it. I I think it's everyone has a kind of malaise over them at the moment. And, you know, I'm, I'm fine, honestly. I'm, this is not like my little cry for help at the end of the episode. But yeah. I definitely I definitely think there's kind of like the luster of life at the moment is is pretty dull. And, yeah, I, I want to be able to sort of commit to stuff I really enjoy again. And it was only when really thinking about what I've actually played in this first few weeks of 2021 that I'm, I'm just not putting the time into the things that I think I, I could enjoy. And, and I wonder, yeah, how much of that is just because I'm not seeing people and, I, and I'm not you know, you're not engaged in your mind in the same way when you're at home all the time. So yeah, in the in the next few weeks, I, I hope I find something I can sort of get my teeth into and it feels more like a purposeful play because at the moment I do think I am mainly just filling bits of time and, and I want to do a bit more with my, with my pandemic hours if I can. It's a tricky thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I struggle a lot being self-employed with fitting in games into sort of my life. I will play a lot more games when I've got a lot more stuff on. Yeah. Uh, because I am dreadful for procrastination. <laughs> Yet I found myself in lockdown just sort of kicking my heels a bit, being like, I've got all this time, but I just oof, oof, just can't really be. Oof. But one of the nice things about, since finding my love of roguelikes, that's one of the nice things about those. It's not daunting. It's familiar, but it's also always fresh. Yeah. And that's that's something that's quite quite special about that. Well, maybe this is the time I need to whack on Dead Cells or something like that. Get Hades, mate. Yeah, that's the big one at the moment, isn't it's it? It's so that's good. In vogue. It's so good. Yeah, it really, really is. So, after an announcement hors d'oeuvre, a quizzical amuse-bouche, mechanical soup, a ring-fit appetizer, typing adventure salad, lynchian fish, a pandemically reflective first course, and now an amusing culinary-based palate cleanser, it is time for the second main course of season three. (laughs) This week, coming in the form of Minty's 10th favourite video game of all time. Whether or not this will be followed by cheese and dessert is yet to be seen, but for now, it is over to you, Mr. Booth. Come on, Minty. Well, thank you. <laughs> In the two years leading up to today, I've almost dreaded talking about this game. And when I made my list, I thought to myself, of course, this, this has to be in the top ten. At the time, I thought, oh, this is this is a legacy choice. It's it's the Lifetime Achievement Award <laughs> for a game that was obviously very important back in the day. Uh, even if it had been eclipsed by newer offerings of the medium. Could I talk about it with the gusto that I talked about Viva Piñata or Turok? (laughs) (laughs) Would I even be able to talk about anything new after naming the sequel as my 35th favourite video game? Well, everyone, I am pleased to say that following a decent bit of research and a near full playthrough of this game once more, I can safely say that a top 10 spot is not only deserved, irrespective of historical importance, but also necessary, because to this day it is still an extremely good game. So many of the groundbreaking and genre-defining games we recognise as being important in the history of gaming started to show their age a, a good long while ago, as anybody who's recently tried playing anything on the Switch's NES online platform will tell you. So to have something that is still fresh, 
and fun and can hold its own to this day should give you an indication as to why in 1995 it was installed on more computers than Windows 95, <laughs> despite only being available to purchase via mail order. A fact that had Bill Gates briefly consider buying the studio that developed it before taking the, the soft option of simply porting the game to promote Windows PCs as a gaming platform. It's a game that was so steeped in controversy that it led, along with such games as Mortal Kombat, to the creation of the ESRB, a game that coined the term Deathmatch, and subsequently came to be reviled by network administrators the world over as they struggled to cope with that game mode's popularity. A game with a freshness and an eminent playability that defies its relatively advanced age. Game 10B is the original Doom. <laughs> wow. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> Sorry. A lovely, lovely culmination of all the things that the development team were into at the time and fresh off the success of Wolfenstein 3D. Doom is an incredible mesh of heavy metal, 80s horror, Dungeons and Dragons, and the drive to make something that doesn't need tomes of lore to appreciate. Pick up and playability. Infinite lives. You'll die, and you'll die, and you'll die. But you'll dust yourself off and carry on. <laughs> You're a nameless space marine sent to a research facility on one of the moons on Mars to clear out a demonic infestation. Fine, that's it. Just give me my gun and let's go. No need things explained. Why is there a shotgun there? Who cares? It's mine now. It's time to use it. What purpose does this winding corridor have in a laboratory? <laughs> Why is there toxic ooze everywhere? So that you can have fun playing the game, you dink. It's a run-and-gun first-person action, not a bumble-and-think first-person. <laughs> it's timeless. Even if the graphics are a little dated, it still looks fantastic and it inspires excitement and fear in a way that, that, that few have been able to emulate without ruining your experience. I'm still frightened by what's around the corner when I play today, but that fear is never so oppressive that I just turn off the console and go do something else. I'm a powerful Doom guy. I have a veritable armory strapped to my back. All I have to do is reach the end of the map and that's it. I could work on trying to, you know, clear each level with all kills and all secrets later on. That's fine. However you want to play Doom, you are catered for. I got this game when I was 10 years old and... <laughs> oh boy, I was not able to cope with it. <laughs> I managed about three levels before I just gave up and uh, sprayed bullet fire in a circle for about five minutes <laughs> at the end of a hallway. Uh, no enemies were there, and I was using the pistol, so it was just... <laughs> so it wasn't quite the, uh, the Rambo-esque minigun spray that I thought it would be. <laughs> but did that, did that mean that my enjoyment of the game was over? Is it really just a legacy choice? No, 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 my friend. I played Doom 95, part of the Depths of Doom trilogy that had an option to turn off the monsters. So for the next eight years, I would just play to explore, travelling morose labs and hellish fields without fear of finding a, an imp or a skull that's on fire, testing out all the guns that I found on the walls and barrels. Even without things like monster closets and gauntlets dictating the pace of the action, it controls so well that even just wandering around and looking for secrets is just a wonderfully edifying experience. And then we got the internet in my house and I found cheat codes, uh, thanks to AskJeeves.com. <laughs> <laughs> so, <I> could... <laughs> so we could then start playing with monsters again without the threat of getting you know spooked a little and killed. 
just gently surprised before unloading infinite ammo into whatever hellish legion dared to approach me. I've started playing without cheats now, and my history of playing with severe handicaps and cheats and subsequent cover-based and regenerative shooters has put me at a supreme disadvantage mentally. (laughs) And I think it will be another 25 years at least before I actually complete it. And that's absolutely fine, because I'm sure I will still be playing it in 2046, and it will still be able to hold its own with whatever the current gen will have to offer at that point. It's an utter masterpiece, and it's my number 10th favourite video game. Yes, it is. It's a really (laughs) good game. I apologise that it's not going to be R3 sense approved. It's a shame, well, but we'll, we'll, we'll cope. We'll be right. <laughs> I played through it on the easiest setting when it came out on the Switch, and that was the first time I'd ever played it. So we've spoken before about games that have basically spilled out from the video gaming community and just become part of just public consciousness. People know what a Pokemon is, or you know, even Minecraft, or a Fortnite, or one of these things. <laughs> mm, mm. When I finally got around to playing Doom, it was like when I finally got around to watching Singing in the Rain, because I'd seen parodies or homages to every single scene in Singing in the Rain. So when I watched it, I was like, yeah, I, to- I know this film. I know this film inside out, because I know everything that has been influenced by it going forward in the industry since. And it was like that playing Doom. And it made me have a real appreciation for where, you know, and I I know there were games before it, like Wolfenstein, that, you know, set things out. But Doom was so, so iconic. You know, I remember seeing it being covered on Bad Influence, thinking, there's no way my parents would let me play that. (laughs) Like, no way. Uh, (laughs) and, And I was right. It's mad that obviously we started this episode talking about the recent Doom on the Switch. And after I'd played the original Doom, and then went back to playing the new Doom. I think I said at the time, it it really made me appreciate what an amazing job Bethesda have done in honouring so much of what the original did and the way that the original felt. Because like you said, Minty and, and Chris, you know, in terms of like the way that that particular genre has gone and just sort of diluting it into something that just a glorified corridor cover shooter, it does make you really appreciate just how special Doom is, how important Doom is. And if you're not going to play the modern Doom, like you said, Minty, just, just keep playing just keep playing the original. Yeah, it's six quid on the eShop. Just, just get it. You will get months and months of uh, enjoyment out of it. I really do wonder why the shift towards cover-based shooters and regenerating health became a thing. And I wonder if it's just because people are cowards. <laughs> I think so. It's this generation's double jump. Am I right, Chris? I, I think you're oh, right. Yeah. I think you're completely right. <laughs> what I think has happened is all the cover-based stuff, It's we've had this long sort of road, I guess, in games to make them more accessible. Long corridor. Yeah, a very long <laughs> corridor with lots of little boxes to hide behind. But we've had this long, long corridor to where we are now of games where we're looking at ways to make things more accessible and that's really good. Like accessibility is, is hugely important. Like the more people that can access stuff, the better, but with games, it's also meant that with the kind of, you know, the, the trend to try to trying to pivot towards more cinematic experiences in order to put all that stuff hand in hand, it, I think naturally coalesced at that point where it would be like, well, we don't want you to keep failing. That's not going to be fun. That's not going to be accessible. We want to implement something that keeps you moving forwards to see these big bombastic explosions and set pieces. Maybe kind of that sort of action title was always going to end up in a position where you would take damage and then you just hide. And if you did die, a checkpoint was only three steps back because 
it's always always about forward momentum. And like Minty said about dying in Doom, it didn't matter in Doom. Like the stages were not massively long, but they were just there to kind of be learnt and, and to get better at. And and part of the fun was just exploring those areas. And and modern games have not really been about that largely for quite a long time. You know, as much as we're now sort of moving back towards almost everything being open world as as, as apparently just, you know, mm. something we, we must have in games. I think the that period on the on the 360 and the PS3 especially of this kind of corridor stuff and and this kind of pop and shoot from behind cover it did get really stale and boring but I think it was it was trying to work out where games were going to go and and if doom kind of set the marker at the beginning that said this is where we think they should go that had got to a point where maybe that was that had been expended maybe in in terms of like how many people could be drawn into this hobby and yeah, I, th- I think there's there's lots to really think about and discuss in terms of how wider media has has kind of reflected back into games and vice versa. I think it's really nice now that we are at a point where games have become so mainstream in terms of just general acceptance that we can have a weird game about using a Polaroid camera to take pictures like Minty referenced at the start, but also games that are just AAA bombastic cinematic things as well as throwback shooters like doom that there's you know there's lots of developers now aping that style again in in 2020 and 2021 so yeah everything is out there but doom was at the beginning and it's still better than 99 percent of them or 90 percent of them as in the case of minty's opinion <laughs> mm, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so there we have it minty's 10th favorite video game is doom <laughs> If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on social media. You can engage with us there as well. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash our3cents. We are on Twitch, Instagram, and TikTok at O3C Podcast. You can find us on YouTube, search for our3cents. Or you can engage with us individually. Take us to task on our opinions on these games. Ask us questions you might like us to answer in a future episode. Send us your top 10 lists that you might like us to to give our respective two cents, our six cents on. (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing and fancy supporting us just a little bit more, head over to patreon.com slash our3cents and please do join us next week where I will be sharing with you my 10th favourite video game of all time. Yeah! I'll tell you what. It's a good one. I can't wait. I can't wait either. <laughs> it's a bloody, bloody good one. I, I know for a fact that you both love this game. Ooh. Yes! <laughs> oh, whopping. Fans of video games, history, or video game history will definitely want to listen to Retronauts. Each week, Bob Mackey and myself, that's Jeremy Parrish, dive into the stories behind the greatest games of the past and the history behind the hits of today. Check us out every Monday on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Previously in Zelda 2 on Chat of the Wild. Until you get to the elevator. Oh, oh, I'm like, stay away from me and you and your little flamies. <laughs> he just chases you. I'm like, uh, I'm like, no, 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 run, 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 run. I love that. I love that idea. It's like we have this whole grand adventure where we're building ourselves up, and every time we get in the palace, we're like, oh god, oh god, oh god, like just running through. That's Chat of the Wild Wednesdays on the Greenlit Podcast Network.